Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. I'm your host, David Lewis, and here is where we talk about the methods and technologies for driving growth. Over the past couple years, we have brought to the B2B marketing world our D3 methodology. And the D3 methodology is a holistic model for driving growth. Well, several years ago, when we introduced the methodology, we created several podcast episodes for you guys. And I know so many of you are new to the channel that you probably haven't gone back and listened to those. So we're bringing some of the old episodes back for you. I strongly encourage you guys to click on the subscribe button with notifications turned on so you can find out about all the episodes that we make here on the podcast as well as on the YouTube channel. And the fastest way to get to the YouTube channel is demandgen.tv. All right, so here's one of the great episodes on our D3 methodology. Hope you enjoy it. And I would love to today, if you're up for it, for us to go to the second D in the D3 methodology, which is, as you know, demand management. So let's go there. Sound good? Sounds great. Love the topic. Well, first place to start, I um, want to throw out to you is you you talk to so many of our clients who are embracing the D3 methodology and coming to you to map out their initiatives for the year. And one of the things that comes up quite a bit is, hey, Carlos, do we have to do all of this at once? And I'd like to just kind of like tee that question up to you and let you answer it for everybody because it comes up every single time. You know, do I do demand creation, demand management, demand expansion? So how do you answer that? I really answer that by asking them where they're strong now. I talk to so many of our clients who say, hey, we're doing a really good job engaging or creating demand. And what they mean by that is filling that top of that proverbial funnel. It's that secondary dimension, which we're talking about here is demand management is now that I've engaged them, how do I nurture them? And then how do I establish that internal process that integrates marketing and sales? So the most qualified leads are getting to my salespeople at the right time. I'm routing them the right way. I'm scoring them. I'm qualifying that way. I have common nomenclature around the demand funnel, that's where there continues to be an issue. And so when I hear that, I'm not saying you're going to, you're doing demand creation as well as you could be, but if you're only creating those leads and that top level engagement and you're losing visibility or losing that continuity of conversation through nurturing, that's the place you need to start because you're truly at that point wasting the valuable investment you've put into your campaigns. Well, well said. There's probably not a marketer or salesperson on the planet that's not doing the first D, right? Demand creation, because you don't have a business if you don't generate any demand. So Mm -hmm. you're doing demand creation. And what we've seen, and I've been doing this a long time, we see too many people, they just get caught in kind of batch and blast mode. They're constantly trying to fill the top of the funnel and run the campaign du jour and doing campaign uh, after campaign, after campaign. So demand creation is what they're all about. So we know you're doing that, whether you're doing it right. Again, we've, we've talked about demand creation on two episodes already of demand gen radios. When it comes to, I'm going to skip over demand management. When it comes to demand expansion in the install base, that's actually like sometimes the, you know, forgotten country like that, that is really neglected. And 65% or more of your install base, uh, 65% percent or more of your revenue comes from your customer base, your install base. So on the next episode we do together, Carlos, let's talk about demand 
expansion and how and what initiatives need to be taken there. But in terms of today, demand management, the reason you need to do demand management, and there's 10 key initiatives at a, at a minimum, 10 key initiatives under demand management, the reason you have to do it, let's play, paint the visual for you. You have, you have three buckets. One bucket is demand creation. The middle bucket is demand management. And the third bucket is demand expansion. And let's say you take raw materials, sometimes called leads, and you put them in bucket number one. You've created demand. You've gotten engagement for people. They're, they're raising their hand in some way. If you don't move them systematically and intentionally into bucket number two, you're missing massive amounts of revenue. And there's a chart that Carlson and I like to show very often. I'm going to give a shout out to Justin, our producer. Justin, let's make sure that we put a link to that visual I'll give you, which shows the funnel kind of before and after. And if you increase your inquiry to MQL conversion rate just by a few percentage points, I mean like two to 5%, you more than double your revenue. And that's why demand management is so important that no lead is left behind and you really take a systematic process for moving people from the top of the funnel to the middle funnel down to closed one. And so what Carlos and I have done in demand management is identify the 10 key initiatives that you need to do to be doing demand management right. And what, Carlos, is number one? What's the first one? Where do we always start? We start with just defining the strategy. What does that look like? Uh, and, and I have a lot of clients who say, so what does that mean? So when you think about sales and marketing integration, which is number two, uh, you have to think about what is your sales structure? Are you strictly field sales? Do you have an inside sales team? Do you have an outside sales team? Are you a two-tier distribution? So do you have channel partners that are involved in that sales process? These, this is what we mean by that strategy. What is it going to look like? Who needs to be considered? What groups need to be considered? This also does bleed into what you were just talking about, Dave, demand expansion. Oftentimes, organizations have teams specifically targeted for the growth of their customers, so now you have to consider that as well when you're putting in a routing structure if you're going to start doing campaigns out to your customers. So it's not just, hey, let's build a score model, which we hear a lot. I need a score model built in my marketing automation system. Well, first you have to define the strategy of who's involved and what's going to happen when you get to this demand management phase. Yeah. Um, I used to watch the show How It's Made. Loved it. Don't know if you ever watched that show. That show. Um, very cool. How to make anything from, you know, ice cream pops to uh, intricate, intricate uh, systems. And it was all these conveyor belts, right? They would have always show the factory and how things move from step to step to step in the manufacturing process. Thus, the name of the show, How It's Made. That's literally what you want to do with your demand management strategy is to take everything from click to close. So, you know, it's a big whiteboard or lucid chart or whatever tool. And you're really thinking about your demand management process. So for example, you run a campaign, drives people, let's say to a form, they register or fill out the form to get a piece of content or attend an event. And that lead flows into from your website to your marketing automation system. So, you know, now know where that data goes and you're capturing the right data. Then what happens? Does that lead stay in your marketing automation system or does it get passed over to the CRM? Does it get scored? Does it get tracked into a nurturing system? So if you really think of it as like a manufacturing process, which is why I called my first book uh, Manufacturing Demand, it is really mapping out 
your demand management strategy. Maybe you're passing it to a BDR. Maybe it's going directly to field sales. Until you actually map out what the entire process looks like and these different stages of demand management along the way, what is the difference between an inquiry and an MQL? What's the difference between an MQL and sales accepted, sales qualified? And this is so relevant, Carlos, that literally Mindy, who's working with me on a project, she came to me and said, I'm entering records in the database right now for you, Dave. What status should I be putting? Are these sales accepted or sales qualified? And I love the question because, again, mm-hmm. Mindy's not a BDR. She's our office manager doing some CRM work. But because the pick list is a required field and she only at that stage can pick one or two, she needed to know. And I said, well, in that case, it's sales accepted because we're just entering the records into the database. It's not sales qualified because we're not trying to suggest that this is someone who is moving towards an opportunity. She goes, ah, got it. And so demand management strategy is the process. It's the terminology. It's the workflows. And it's the it's the blueprinting of the systems of what's going to need to get done. And that's why, as Carlos so quickly responded, we always start with strategy. You have to have a plan before you operationalize uh, things. Carlos, talk about sales and marketing. You used the I word, integration, and you were very adamant that when we laid out that as initiative number two under demand management, that it wasn't sales and marketing alignment. So why integration as initiative number two and not just alignment? I I think alignment doesn't go deep enough. Integration really talks about both groups working together. So if you think about it from a systems perspective and you say, hey, we're going to align our marketing automation with our CRM, you could say, yeah, we have similar rules. We have similar service levels. You're not passing at that point, if they're aligned, you're not passing the data and the information back and forth. It's the same with sales and marketing. And I go back to a story when uh, this was years ago when I met with a vice president of marketing who talked about all the different things they were doing with service levels and lead routing rules and definitions. And the next meeting I had was with the vice president of sales. And I brought out this set of rules and definitions. And he said, I've never seen that before in my life. And he said, we've gotten to a point with marketing where we've just said, look, if somebody responds to a form, just send them to us because we'll do a better job than you will. So they were not only not integrated, they just weren't aligned. Integration means you are truly working together, marketing and sales, sitting down at the table. You mentioned the whiteboard. Marketing, if you're going to do this without sales, save your time and don't do it. You have to integrate with them and get their understanding of what a truly qualified lead looks like. So then you can start to say, okay, let's go now and build our demand funnel and have that common nomenclature and define the different stages of that demand funnel. That's your next step. You're not going to achieve that without that integration of both groups. Well said. And and I just want to point out to you guys, you're not alone on this journey. And even though we're unveiling these processes and encouraging you guys to go, quote, do this, there are companies like DemandGen, my company, that helps companies do this, of course, because it's not easy. If you try to do it internally, um, who's leading this meeting? Who's bringing about a, such a change management initiative in the company? Is it marketing? Is it sales? It's challenging. So if you're going to embark on demand management and you're going to work on your demand management strategy and sales and marketing integration, and some of the things that we're going to get to next, funnel scoring, nurturing. The only commercial I'll say today is consider reaching out to us and learn about how we go about these workshops and our approaches to doing it, the documentation we do, and the implementation that we do. And that's what I want to say about that. You're not alone. If you need help, we're here for it. But let's 
continue. So demand funnel, initiative number three under demand management is demand funnel. Uh, if you guys Google demand funnel, encourage you to do it. You're going to find tons of visuals and content that we've created over the years around the demand funnel. The term demand funnel comes from serious decisions who used to call it or does call it a demand waterfall. And I talked about it in the blog post. I'll just say it here quickly. I was never a big fan of the demand waterfall terminology because a waterfall, everything from the top flows to the bottom, except for what evaporates, which is not very much in a waterfall. So everything flows from the top to bottom. I didn't like the term demand waterfall, and it always made me think about the TLC uh, song, Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls. So we call it the demand funnel. The demand funnel is that funnel-shaped visual that breaks into stages the level of demand. The very top are typically your inquiries. They're the least amount of engagement that you have had with this prospect, but some level of engagement. They're not your total available market, someone that's out there in the ether that you've never talked to, they have actually responded to you. You can put a stage above that has that market, but an inquiry is someone who has some level of engagement. And an MQL, when we get to scoring, is someone who is more engaged, and let's call it a fit for your sales or BDR team. The demand funnel is a lexicon. It's a, it's a language between sales and marketing. And it is operationalized in your marketing automation and CRM system and done very specifically and intentionally so that strategy and it's it's technical. Um, Carlos, you are also a huge fan of the demand funnel methodology. You've written books on lead management as well. Uh, What are your thoughts in terms of like it's a no brainer initiative? Every B2B company should have a demand funnel because every sales team has a pipeline. This is an extension of the pipeline. what are your thoughts in terms of, of where to start uh, if you don't have one and anything that you want to reinforce around the absolute criticality of this? Well, I think if you're going to build a lead scoring model that's effective, you have to build your demand funnel. I'm more of the belief that in most cases, I won't say all, but in most cases, I don't care the size of your organization, you should have a common demand funnel a common nomenclature, like you said, a lexicon that everybody from marketing and sales understands. So when we say sales, I, I, we generated a thousand MQLs from this campaign, there is zero question within the organization of what that means. Now you can have multiple scoring models, but I see so many organizations running to create scoring models, but they're not supported by anything. That demand funnel is so foundational to understand the stages. And I would encourage you, if you're going to do it on your own or use an outside resource like us, is you start all the way at the top, even defining what do we mean when we say the term prospect or suspect. So that's even before they enter anything uh, from a marketing program perspective or a marketing campaign perspective. Get to that level of specificity. That way sales is on board, you guys are on board, and that's what drives the integration. The worst feeling in the world for a marketer is to go to a QBR and talk about all the different uh, leads you've created or how many leads, and then you have that one sales VP who said, yeah, those aren't leads. And now you're not talking about the, the job marketing has done or the value you've driven. What you're really talking about is an argument with v, a VP and the rest of the sales organization trying to justify your existence and trying to justify what you did. When you have a common demand funnel, that takes a lot of that out of the equation. And then you go back to, well, wait a minute, we went through this process together. 
and we agreed on these definitions. If we have to revisit the definitions, so be it, but that's not the time for the discussion. Love it. Just to tell you guys how well operationalized this is at demand gen, let alone our customers, while Carlos was closing out that thought, I went into Salesforce and I clicked on our head of marketing, Tiffany's dashboard, called the Marketing Goals Dashboard for 2020. And in a microsecond, like as soon as it loaded, I can see there's 7,269 inquiries. That's how many records are in the database right now. I can see there's 1,440 recycled leads, uh, which is what sales has done with previous inquiries or MQLs saying uh, there was no engagement here or too soon or what have you. They've been recycled. I can see how many MQLs there are. I can see how many sales accepted, sales qualified, which are sales-owned uh, funnels uh, of which they're these are all the precursors to pipeline. So without these analytics, I mean, I'm the CEO of DemandGen. I, at any moment of any day, can take a look and see what our pipeline looks like before it's even in opportunity pipeline. It's extremely powerful, but that's only part of the benefit of doing the demand funnel. The, the benefit of it is that you treated these different buckets, like I described, with intent. So if you have a certain level, like I just said, 7,000 inquiries, what are we doing with those inquiries? We've already got them to raise their hand. They're in our database. What are we doing with them? Is a BDR contacting them? Are we doing continued outreach? Are we nurturing them? So we treat every stage of the funnel with intent. And a lot of the documentation blueprinting we do with our clients specifies when what criteria enters them into that stage, what criteria exits that stage, and what happens to them during that stage. Let's move to initiative number four under demand management. We said there's 10. Uh, we're at number four, which is lead scoring. Uh, I think everybody in B2B these days has a marketing automation system. I would hope so. Maybe some of you don't. If you do, you'll get one. It's, it's, it's an imperative at some point if you're dealing with a volume of demand and outreach. Are you doing scoring? And there's tons of content. Like I said, we launched the YouTube channel. If you want to go see the demand management done right, Sabrina and I created several episodes of showing um, and explaining lead scoring and these demand management. Lead scoring can be done many different ways. Lead scoring is a very powerful, when done right, system and process for separating the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay? So our sales team at DemandGen and our client sales teams, most of them, are responsible for certain stages of the funnel. And in our case, we're a smaller company. We have inquiries and MQLs at the top of the funnel. Our sales team has no responsibility, zero, no requirement by them at all to go touch an inquiry. It still stays with marketing for them to engage it. What's the difference between an inquiry and an MQL? Their lead score, simply their lead score. And I say simply, but Carlos, let's talk about just a, a little lead scoring primer, which is what are the two dimensions of scoring? What is, what, what's the basis for scoring? The basis of scoring has to be activity and fit. I can have somebody who's all over the website, downloading my content, uh, really active. Uh, so behaviorally, all the indications are there. But then if I look at the fit, they're a marketing coordinator with no budget, and their company does about just a million in revenue. So I've got to say, okay, is this person going to buy my product, which is a six-figure ASP, average sales price? And so... The, the activity is there, 
or the fit, but the fit for both the individual coordinator who's probably not going to have budget and the company size it is not going to be somebody I'm going to go after. So having those different dimensions is really key. And I will say back to what we do here at DemandGen, uh, you know, I joined in January, so we're, it's hard to believe we're coming up on almost eight months. But I can tell you the, the outcome of this, I have yet to be on a sales call, and I've been on a lot, as you well know, Dave, where we're, we walk off there saying, that wasn't a lead. That wasn't, that wasn't qualified. Every conversation I've had with our prospects, because of the way we do lead scoring, which is hinged off of our demand funnel definition, Mm-hmm. Every single, I'm not saying we close them all, but every single one is a qualified opportunity that we are able to go pursue. Love it. Uh, Justin, once again, shout out to you, our producer. I'm asking Justin to share with you guys a screenshot from Jennifer Rafe's lead record in Salesforce. I'll blur out her email and phone. So rest assured, Jennifer, you'll be protected. But Jennifer, I know very well. She's been a client several times. She and I go way back. Yesterday, she reached out to us, Carlos, and she said, um, hey, I think it's time to engage you guys again. I need you to assess my Marketo instance because we've had it for something like six years and it's kind of like an episode of Hoarders and there's a lot of stuff running in there. We need you guys to look under the hood and figure out what's going on. So what I did, Carlos, is I entered Jennifer's name into the database. Now we have her as contact records from other companies she's been at but she's in a relatively new role. So I entered her name, entered her title, entered her company, an email, and mobile phone. And then I put in what marketing automation system they use. You talked about fit criteria. Hit the drop-down field, put in Marketo. In her job role, put head of marketing. In her CRM, put Salesforce and the industry technology. Those were four of the five dimensions that we use for the fit criteria. That's a tall, dark, and handsome criteria we use. At the moment I hit save, Carlos, her lead score was a D because all I knew that she was a fit, which I manually entered. And so Mm -hmm. I want you guys to see this because what happened hours later is her lead score progressed to a C and it's now a B as I look at it. And I want you guys to see this. And then what I'll also show you in the second screenshot is all of her engagement. So I sent a note to Jennifer like an hour ago uh, and a little bit yesterday of some stuff to follow up our call. And she's been consuming that significantly. So her lead score went from, you know, low lead score because it's just based on the fit criteria to now this engagement. Think about if we did lead scoring wrong here at Demand Gen. And I'll give you an example of wrong is these progressional lead scores where we give some points for fit and some points for interest, and it rolls up to one score. She could be like this lead stalker on the web consuming all of this content, but not have any of the fit criteria to make them a good client for demand gen. Or she could be a really good fit from a targeting perspective, but not engaging with us at all. And that's why, as Sabrina and I showed on the YouTube videos, I'm encouraging you guys, when you do lead scoring, you want to do two-dimensional scoring, where you have a score for their fit, and then you have a score for their interest level. And then you create a rating, which is the intersection of those two points, meaning picture a nine box, you know, like large, small, medium, large, small, medium, large. So lead score fit on the Y axis, lead score engagement on the X axis. 
Is it high, high? Well, then it's an A. Is it low, low? Then it's an E. So you create a lead rating based on where the fit and interest intersect. And we show that on YouTube. Again, why we created the YouTube channel for you to show you guys this stuff. But lead scoring is essential. And if we just if we just stopped right here and said, in terms of demand management, come up with a strategy, integrate your sales and marketing systems and processes, develop a demand funnel, a lexicon, and score to separate the inquiries and the MQLs, you are dramatically going to impact your revenue. And if you go to the next step and do the next thing, because you now have these MQLs and inquiries, what's the next initiative under demand management, Carlos? Curtain, please. It is lead nurturing behind curtain or door number five. Um, And that's really, and I think that's why, and you've heard me say this, Dave, I think demand management is such a critical dimension uh, if not the most critical, and you could you could make arguments for all of them. But for me, this is now where we've taken all the internal process building, all the internal integration pieces between marketing and sales, process and systems, and just the departments in general. And now we're going externally to say, how do we deepen that relationship we have built with that prospective buyer in the demand creation uh, in the demand creation stage? So how do we then take what they have, come to us for, we have a better understanding of what they're trying to solve for based on the content they've consumed. How do we deepen that relationship so that we can get them to that qualification stage where we can then pass them to sales with confidence to say, hey, whether it's directly to sales or to a BDR to further qualify, based on everything we've done and a continuation of the relationship via nurturing, we now know that these guys are qualified enough to enter into a human-to-human interaction. So those are critical pieces. And if you look at the D3 methodology slides under demand management, you'd see that what we just covered is demand strategy, integration, funnel, scoring, and nurturing. The second half, the other five initiatives, are lead routing, and sales enablement. And I would say that, which takes you to number seven, lead routing, no brainer. We don't need to spend a lot of time on that today. If a lead is generated, it's got to be passed off to the right, either system or person. I say system because you can you can route a lead to a, a system like nurturing, as, as Carlos was saying, and do lead nurturing to ensure there's engagement. But if you're passing it off to a person or a member of the team, like a BDR or sales rep, you got to route them. And that routing can be done in your marketing automation system and your CRM can be done with other tools like lean data and other, other applications, ring lead, lots of different ways to do lead routing. You don't need to cover it today because you have to do it. It's a no brainer. In terms of sales enablement, um, you can have the best scoring system in the world, but if people don't use it or understand it, it's not going to get as much Value. If you develop the lexicon, the demand funnel taxonomy, people don't understand the difference between an inquiry, MQL, and the question like Mindy had on sales accepted or sales qualified. So sales enablement is all around teaching sales the processes, the methodologies, the tools that they need to use, and how to really how to really use those well. And it's critical, and it's not a static project. You don't do a training for sales and go away and stop doing it. You really need to have from almost like a revenue operations perspective, a discipline for constantly training sales. And I recommend that you have regular trainings every month where you get particular topics and teach sales what they need to do 
Um, one one uh, video we put up, Carlos, in, in the YouTube channel recently was how critical it was to um, attach a contact to an opportunity and why all attribution is lost unless you do that or have a tool that does that. So just training sales on how to attach contacts to opportunities and the importance of doing that. That one thing, which might take 15 minutes to a half hour to teach all the sales reps, um, is so critical to making all of this work. Well, any thoughts on routing or enablement before we get to the A word for the last three initiatives? Well, I think maybe we save the A word for another podcast because there's a lot we can unpack there. In terms of lead routing, well, as you put those processes in place, make sure you have defined business rules and service level agreements that govern that and, and set up your system to trigger alerts for those leads that may be qualified but haven't been tended to. And then sales enablement, Dave, the only other thing I would add to that is make sure sales understands the campaigns you're running and understands the content that's part of those campaigns. There is nothing worse as a buyer to get on the phone with a salesperson and have to regurgitate your entire history with that company. All that Mm -hmm. tells you is there's not that integration. So the enablement, as Dave said, is not a one and done. I've seen a lot of really successful organizations. They set up one month lunch and learns where salespeople come in, they're asked questions, they're trained on another aspect, and they're trained on what they with what the response to the campaign is, the content of the campaign, and then as you said, the process and the system changes that have occurred, and it becomes a really well oiled machine. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up the point about alerts and notifications. Uh, Salesforce is a pretty interesting and powerful application for sure, but it doesn't feel like it's a a live application, right? When you log in. You might see some tasks, but how do you know what just went on in there? Remember that comment I made about Jennifer? Again, I'm going to link a whole bunch of stuff. So check out the comments for the podcast. A lot of visuals we'll give for you guys. You'll see her record. You know, if if that was created through a form that she submitted, how does a salesperson know a new lead record's been created? I mean, they can go into Salesforce and do their drop downs and take a look at all their MQLs or inquiries. But one of the things that we do here at DemandGen and we help our clients with is creating email notifications or Slack or Glip notifications. So for example, if someone submits the contact us form on our website, that's like bells go off. You know, your ring doorbell. It's like that here. We know immediately someone has filled out a contact us form because it goes into, we use Glip, which is a lot like Slack, and it lights up that channel that there is now a new contact us form. And what's cool is the rep can go into that and directly click the link that's notified in there and go into their Salesforce record. They'll also receive an email notification. Um, so we cover both grounds because they may not have the Glip app open or be at their desk, but they'll get it on their mobile. And then we also, when things convert from like inquiry to MQL, we'll send out a notification. Or if something moves from recycled back to engagement, we send notifications. So we use the inbox and group chat systems here internally and with our clients to raise visibility of what's happening within the CRM and the engagement that people are getting. I like your idea, Carlos, because I think we covered a lot to leave the last three for another time. Uh, The last three, just so you guys know, so we don't leave you as a uber cliffhanger, it's account scoring, ABM engagement, and ABM activation. And the reason might be good to leave off, a lot to cover there too, but not all of you need to do account-based marketing. It really depends on your organization and your business strategy, the resources and investments that you have to make. But those 
first seven that we share with you today under demand management, those are essential. You have to do that if you want to drive more revenue, have a greater impact, greater integration. In terms of account base, yeah, many of you should be doing it. Many of you are doing it. And that's why we included it in the methodology and the model. But we'll tackle that on another episode. And we'll also get into demand expansion in another episode. And Carlos, thanks as always for for joining me. I, I love seeing the work that you and Rob and the team have been doing with our new clients, even in the era of COVID, for us to be conducting these workshop, workshops and for us to advising clients and taking them on this journey has been and great to watch. So thank you for all the support you're providing there and, and to the Demand Gen Radio community. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode on the D3 methodology. I strongly encourage you guys to listen to the other episodes on the D3 methodology. And don't forget to look in the show notes where you can see links to a whole bunch of great content and resources that we have for you guys at no cost around the D3 methodology. So thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.